At Morgan Stanley, old school hard work meets bold new thinking. At 88 years old, we still see the world with the wonder of new eyes, helping you discover untapped possibilities and relentlessly working with you to make them real. Old school grit, new world ideas. Morgan Stanley. To learn more, visit morganstanley.com slash why us. Investing involves risk. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC. Market insight and analysis. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC Squawk on the Street. Good Wednesday morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm David Faber, along with Jim Cramer. We're live from Post 9 at the New York Stock Exchange. Carl has this morning off. Let's give you a look at futures as we get ready to start trading a half hour from now. You can see we are, I don't know what you call that, not much. No, inconsequential. Thank you. Inconsequential open. That's what we're going with right now, but we'll see what we get 30 minutes from now. Let's get to our roadmap. It does start with FedWatch, of course. Wall Street is expecting another rate hike and then hints of a pause. But will the ongoing regional bank volatility perhaps change the path of rates? Plus, we're keeping an eye on shares of AMD and Yum. They're both down in the pre-market that following quarterly results. We're going to have the CEOs of both of those companies join us in this hour. And FTC Chair Lena Khan is calling for new regulations on AI and pointing to raw material controls as a path forward to do so. Let's start with the countdown to today's Fed decision amidst, of course, concerns about regional banks. Uh, particularly yesterday as I was getting ready to leave Milken, we were watching, you know, um, many of those shares decline dramatically, Jim. Yeah. Let's start off on the Fed, though. I, I assume you don't have any new thoughts, or do you, in terms of incorporating some of these continued concerns about parts of the banking sector? Well, I mean, I, I've been saying that this is a 100 basis point problem, that you're getting 100 basis points of tightening. You know, even down to the granularity. I mean, you go listen to the Ford call, which I felt was excellent, market not reflecting that. You know, people are talking about how do you buy cars? Cars are done by regional banks. Uh, there are parts of the economy that are not controlled by regional banks. A, a terrific quarter by Simon Properties last night. Simon Group Properties does not need a regional bank. No. But when you do a transaction, when you typically get, say, your retailer, smaller retailer, and you have to have inventory, that's a regional bank. And the regional banks don't want to watch their stocks. But uh, we get a number of stories today saying that it's very easy to knock these stocks down using an ETF. And then the banks have to spend a lot of time defending. And if they have to defend, they're not going to loan. So it's kind of a vicious cycle downward right now. Yeah. Um, right. The stock price can get people concerned. And as we exactly. pointed out so many exactly. times, and what is so different now about really the state of affairs, even not that many years ago, is the ability to rapidly move your money right. at the stroke and, of, and, a, of, a, of your finger. And one um, of the, right, one of the worst things, David, is, is that we're not going to get these how much is insured until the end of the quarter. So it's very possible that a lot more is insured than you realize. Right. But if the FDIC were to simply say, listen, we're going to insure by bank, uh, that would take away the pressure. But right now, the FDIC, which failed miserably this weekend because it gave it 3 a.m., it gave it to J.P. Morgan without any thought about maybe it's important to have regional banks be strong. The FDIC doesn't seem to have a plan for a PacWest or for... They don't plan for Zion. I assume it would be over time encouraging consolidation. I mean, I well, did have a number of conversations in the last couple of days, given how many uh, people are at Milken from you know senior people in finance. And that was great. Up no, but you, you have the, the you go there really to have the off-camera conversations, sure. obviously. And this idea that we're going to need another period of consolidation now 
unclear how that will be viewed by regulators, but perhaps it should be encouraged to the sense that you need to create even more super regionals. We still have more banks by far than any country in the world. We have this tradition of having these smaller regional banks and community banks. Historically, Uh, we like that because it's good for the community. Now, take a really excellent bank like Key. Okay, they have a ridiculously high yield right now because the stock's been pressed down. Uh, They've got remarkable management. They, They are one of the best operators that I've come across. Right. Should they be so-called wiped out? Chris Gorman, who's done a remarkable job, because their yield's 8.44 and they happen to be in an ETF. Right. I mean, wow, they're like the savior of Cleveland. They're the bank that you go to in Cleveland if you're going to build a building or if you're going to do a store. I think they're vital. I think they're and, a vital company. Um, and these are continued questions we're going to have then as to what you do if you're the FDIC. And, you know, if you were to say there's blanket insurance for everyone... Uh, then obviously you create potentially moral hazard, or you have to regulate all the banks truly like utilities. That's right, all they right. really and can And you have become. to cut their profitability You have to cut their profitability. Uh, or at the same time, do you do it for businesses, which really are not looking out for, or for a lot of different things, but have money, a lot of money coming in and out of, of their regional right, But how about if you bank. guarantee it to 500000 These are nitpicking. Right. Or you could go and to you 500, could apply. A bank could apply for additional yep. insurance. But we can't have what is happening now. That said, I mean, there is this implied belief that every time the, they go into receivership, there's going to be uh, a systemic exemption that makes sure every depositor right. is insured. But I don't want to get too granular, but the fact is, is that a key or a Huntington Bank, they're being punished because they own treasuries. It's not because they have bad credit. Nope. So, but the FDIC has been remarkably silent. Treasury has been, uh, it dumbfounds me, uh, because you know these are big issues. And yeah. we don't want the middle-tier banks that are responsible for a lot of the growth in, in, in America to be wiped out because of an ETF took them down to eight. Um, agreed. I, you know, listen, I, it's funny because on Monday I sat down with Mark Rowan from Apollo, and we had a broad-ranging discussion. And obviously, remember, every single person, you know, he has his own view of the world, and obviously he's going to say things that perhaps also advantage their business in terms of private credit and so many things they're doing. But what he had to say in terms of that second wave, I've heard now referenced so many times. So I want to play it again. He wasn't necessarily really talking as much about worries about commercial real estate, Jim, as he was just this idea of not having a profitable business anymore. The idea that deposits can flow out simply for higher yield into Treasury so quickly and what you do about it. Take a listen. They're going to find themselves asking for leniency during what I would consider phase two of this because their exposure to commercial real estate in particular is worrying. That does not mean crisis, it doesn't mean imminent, but I think we will see the same kind of rolling wave of concern which leads to loss of confidence and likely more failures. Well, Stark look, words. I mean, that was Monday morning and then obviously we've seen what's happened since then. But why that was the after, FCC, obviously, the FDIC. I saw it, what yeah. happened. Yeah. I mean, look, I'm a TV reporter. Why did the FDIC not, have, not see that well, what What could happen? they have done differently? What, okay. what do you? Th- uh, how about, by the way, again, not we're not talking it. about deposits flowing out of these no, banks. We're simply talking about a market-created concern as a result of short selling, and right. ETFs that you're talking about right. that is then having us talk about it, and obviously well, being it's a, a reverberation. But yes. you look at the deal that J.P. Morgan got; it was really rather extraordinary. Like twenty percent they'll make on that. 
uh, their rate of return. It, it's a remarkable gift. No one else could possibly compete against JPM. So then the question is, should we just say JPM can get rid of the 10% rule entirely? JPM can own 15%. They can well, they just got exempted from these. having only or, or the right. cap at 10% of all deposits. But, David, I, well, you and I talked about First Republic as a problem. For, for, for a month. I, we talked about FTC, it. I talked about but, it from March 10th on. Or whatever well, how about a, a 3 a.m. deal? I mean, are you kidding me? A 3 well, a.m. deal? They were out that? looking for the best bids. They wanted to have to pay as little as they can. But they, they, probably it, only $13 billion out of the FDIC, maybe as little as 11 But is there not an imperative to continue to have regional banks? I mean, because right now I can tell you that every bank that's in trouble should go to J.P. Morgan. Because it's a great deal. Let's let's come back to the Fed then and how all of this is going to impact and whether we're going to hear about it from Jay Powell later, uh, their view in terms of the path of rates. Because you get, you know, we all hear these anecdotes, but you're talking about a lack of potential lending from many of these banks. It is so important in the right. economy. So has he figured it out yet? Because he's brought it up well, as something yeah. he hadn't quite I, yet determined. No, but I think he's more clever than the FDIC. And I, look, I'm not, I, I think the FDIC's acted shamefully. Because uh, you didn't uh, think that there would be a moral hazard of having J.P. Morgan winning this bank. Is this really 1907? It does feel very much like 1907 so what does that mean when there was a panic. He, that that Powell has Asia. a better understanding. By the way, it's not as though the Fed is not deeply well, involved in all of these conversations. Right, but I think he can say, look, we, there's an imp- there is an imperative. Uh, the, I'm not hearing this from the FDIC. There's an imperative to have community banks. The FDIC... Okay. Which, it's, again, I'm coming back to 3 a.m. because that's frightened everybody, that it took them that long. I mean, honestly, if they watched you on Friday where you said that this is probably worth zero, I would have thought that they would have swung into action. Now, of course, they will say they did. But if they really, I mean, if you I know was it, reporting, I can tell you that the FDIC Morgan, was talking right. to banks about a plan in well, which it would take bids in receivership. So they but, were obviously. But if you wanted to be sure, 3 M's interesting right here. They put that up. That's it's more of an industrial. Well, you said 3M for some reason. Well, look, I, here's the problem. If you're going to have a consolidation, J.P. Morgan wins every time. Unless you decide, you know what we should do? We should make it so that we give, let's say it's, it's football. We give some points, too. We spot, yeah. we spot Huntington. You didn't answer touchdown. my question, though, about what it is going to mean in terms of oh. potentially more stringent credit conditions, particularly it, from of these course. banks. For the Fed's path. But these banks are in their conference, in the bank conference calls, they talked about how, listen, we're, we're going to, we're ready for the cutback. We're ready for the stringent lending. We're how ready long do we for, get this 25 basis points back from Powell? Right. How long? Well, some people think it's by the end of the year. I think that it's higher longer. Look at the ADP number this morning. We're still creating a lot of jobs. Every time that they uh, raise, mortgage rates go lower because people feel it's going to cause a recession. So they raised mortgage rates go to six, and they perpetuated their own problems. All right, we got a a lot more big show ahead for you, including... Were we too uh, granular about something involving the Fed? No, I thought that was... I give that conversation like a B plus. Okay. An exclusive with AMD CEO Lisa Sue is next. We would have gotten an A. ChatGPT might have given us an A. Chegg mate, my friend. Uh, There's Lisa Sue. She'll be joining us very shortly. The stock is under pressure. Their guidance did overshadow what were strong quarterly results. Let's give you a look at futures. We get started with trading in about 19 minutes from now. Things have perked up a bit. More squawk on the street straight ahead. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at... (laughs) 3 a.m. The office was shocked. <laughs> That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. 
<laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. All right, AMD stock ran up in anticipation maybe a better quarter. Perhaps maybe this was the clear out of the inventory. It did not happen. So the shares are falling in reaction to the company's quarterly result. Uh, and also the guidance, which a lot of people feel was suboptimal. I think we've got to dig deeper with this because I don't think we should just think about the next quarter, maybe the next year. CEO Lisa Sue joins us now to discuss what's going on and her outlook. And Lisa, it is always great to see you. Thank you for coming back to Squawk on the Street. Excellent. It's great to be here, Jim, with uh, you and David. Okay, so Lisa, we can discuss the next 39 days, and I find that somewhat trivial. <laughs> or we can discuss what could happen with chat, but we can discuss what happened with generative AI. I prefer to do that. I understand that some people feel there's too much, uh, too many, many chips in the inventory, but is it not possible that a year from now we're going to have an explosion that's going to need all hands on deck from your company to be able to produce as many chips as you can? Yeah, absolutely, Jim. Well, first of all, you know, let me start with saying, you know, I think we executed very well in the first quarter. When we look at, you know, the overall demand environment, we actually uh, were um, exceeding our revenue and earnings uh, for the quarter. And, you know, as we look forward, as you said, this is an incredible time uh, for the computing industry. Um, Everybody needs more compute. Uh, There's so much excitement around uh, what's going on in the data center. Uh, We all need uh, to build out more in the cloud infrastructure. And there's a lot of excitement about what AI can do for us in every industry, you know, going forward. So, you know, this is a big bet for us uh, to ensure that, you know, we have all the computing capabilities across all aspects of, you know, cloud to client devices to really accelerate this generative AI uh, boom that we're seeing. Well, what would happen, I'm going to suppose something, what would happen if you made a deal with Microsoft, which is considered to be the advanced uh, player right now in this, where I could talk to my PC and just say, make me a reservation for two at Bernard Dan at 830. Wouldn't I be able to do that within the next two years? Well, what is most exciting about it is we're putting AI into every aspect of our product portfolio. So we actually have um, our first AI uh, PCs actually launching um, you know, this year. We actually have some of them in market already. And yes, they're just going to get smarter and smarter going forward. Um, the same is true in the cloud, right? We have um, you know, all of our, you know, ChatGPT is wonderful, but it can be even better as we bring newer models, newer compute, newer capability going forward and really connecting what you're doing in the cloud to what you're doing on the client side is actually what we're best at because we have you know, all of these pieces. Okay, so let, let's touch on what the analysts are touching on. Obviously, there was channel uh, problems here. You had inventory in the channel. A lot of the analysts are trying sub rosa to say that Intel is maybe caught in pasture. You have a real price war in your hands in order to be able to maintain share. Uh, what's the true narrative of what's happened and what's happening within the next 60 to 90 days? 
Yeah, you know, I really don't see that. I actually think what, what I see is actually the inventory conditions have improved um, as we've gone through the last um, quarter or two. Uh, we've been very much focused on, you know, clearing overall inventories, both on the PC side as, uh, as well as on the cloud side. You know, what we see going forward is actually an improving demand environment, especially as we get into the second half of the year. Uh, we're very bullish on our data center business. Uh, we have a tremendous roadmap. Uh, you know, we've talked uh, before, Jim, about the Italian cities. So, uh, you know, Genoa is doing very well. Uh, Bergamo is our next uh, capability. We're adding um, all of uh, a significant number of new workloads um, across uh, the industry. So we feel very good about the demand trends going into the second half of the year. And, uh, you know, from a cycle standpoint, we're actually through uh, most of the cycle already. Um, yeah, Lisa, I mean, uh, it's David. That was a question I got, short-term in nature, from a number, a couple of your investors who I spoke to this morning, sort of why do you seem to, or why did there seem to be a weakening of demand on your front and PCs, perhaps, that was not necessarily reflected in some of the numbers or commentary we got from others? I mean, why do you think that things are going to pick up then in the second half? Well, this is what we see, David. I mean, when, uh, you know, we see uh, PCs bottomed um, in the first quarter, we actually see demand trends uh, improving. When we look at things like activations, people who are, you know, turning on new PCs, uh, those trends are improving. And uh, we really like our product portfolio as well. As I mentioned, we have, um, you know, AI in our new PC products. Uh, we have a very strong uh, lineup across desktop and notebook. And then, you know, the real driver for us is our data center business. That's always been the, the driver in terms of our long term growth strategy. And it continues to look like uh, we have a strong product portfolio um, that really satisfies um, a, a wide set of workloads, even more so than with our previous generation. So, you know, very strong products, um, you know, good demand for compute going forward. And then as we go forward, you know, this conversation about AI, it's with every customer, every industry, every conversation, whether you're talking about data right. centers or you're talking about edge or you're talking about, you know, client devices. Everybody wants more uh, computing with AI. Yeah, that's what I hear about as well in a different world, but everybody's talking about it. But that said, I mean, the, the MI300 in terms of when it's actually in the market, is there, are things moving so quickly that you miss an opportunity here? And, uh, you know, is that a threat to you in some way as NVIDIA continues to just dominate? Well, David, you have to think about this as we're actually at the beginning of an inflection point in the cycle. So, you know, we're sizing the AI market in the cloud uh, to be upwards of $60 billion over the next three or four years. So we're at the very early stages. Uh, we're very happy with our product capabilities. Uh, we've spent a lot of time uh, with um, a number of our largest customers who are excited about what we can deliver uh, with MI300. And more so than that, as I mentioned, it's you know not just a, a one-trick pony. It's cloud, edge, client, AI across our entire product portfolio. You know, I said um, earlier that this is you know our big strategic bet as the next growth driver for the company, on top of the data center embedded businesses, which are um, you know doing very well. Okay, so Lisa, I totally understand why we would have a problem in client PC because it was a full stop. Uh, there was a huge build out. Everyone was making PCs at HP, at Dell, and then they just basically had way too much inventory and reverberated throughout the chain. What I don't understand is why was there and is there a slowdown in data center where this particular client or some clients, they just decided, you know what, we have enough, and they gave you a full stop? Because it doesn't make sense to me, given the fact that the data center should have continued to be in advance. 
Yeah, well, actually, I would take a step back, Jim, and just look at what the last, you know, year and a half has been. And, you know, during the pandemic, I think there was um, a lot of buildup of new, com uh, new capacity. And that's true uh, both on the PC side as well as on the data center side. And now as things have just normalized a little bit, you know, people are, you know, re-optimizing their inventory levels and just re-optimizing, you know, their overall um, compute capacity. Uh, it's a short-term phenomena. It's something that, you know, we know how to work through. It's a natural phenomena. Uh, that you uh, work through when you have you know, periods of very high demand going to a more normalized environment. Um, but what we do see is long-term demand trends are very solid. And you know, that's what our customers tell us, particularly when they think about you know, how do we uh, catch this next wave of computing needs um, that we know is all there yeah. and we all want to yeah. satisfy it because it makes life better. Yeah, finally, a broader question for me to, to conclude her on AI. I mean, you're having so many of these conversations, Lisa. Beyond their need for products you're going to offer them, is there a sense in your part that many of these people, many of the people who run companies you're talking to, what are their broader needs? And what is it going to mean in terms of where we stand in the very beginnings, really, of, of generative AI? Well, I think it's, it's about um, how do we bring it all into our workflows, David? I think we're all talking about um, that. So as cool as the technology is, we want to make sure that it's really applied to giving us more productivity, more capability, and also just enhancing the way we're able to service um, our customers. So there's a lot of conversation around that, as well as um, the other piece of being responsible with AI and knowing that you know, this technology uh, you know, needs to be uh, very responsible as we use it going forward. So it's a very um, you know, sort of wide-ranging set of conversations um, that we're in. Um, I think we like the fact that we can be a partner and really help shape this industry um, as it goes forward. And so you know, this, is, uh, this is our focus over the next uh, few years. Well, I want to thank Lisa Su, President and CEO of AMD. Lisa, thank you so much for coming on. Very much appreciate it. Great to be with you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Well, David, obviously, and I've been telling club members, this quarter would be bad. There's way too much inventory in the channel. It's not going to go down. Uh, and it's exactly as it played out. The question is, is where it's going to be a year from now. And I think that what she said is that there will be an explosion. All the things we talk about, right. you don't need a lot of compute power. So you can certainly sell it today, and then you get to buy it back, I don't know, 90 next year? 100? There you go. Uh, we're not done with CEOs. Coming up uh, later in the show, Yum Brands. Uh, that stock, at least, is pulling back from what have been recent highs after uh, its quarterly results. We're going to talk to the company's CEO. We'll talk, obviously, earnings, inflation, the consumer. A lot more Squawk on the Street for you. Stay with us. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So Brainstorm got too big. Summarize with AI in a click. Writer's block. Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. Canva. All right, the opening bell's uh, less than five minutes away. We're going to talk about SD Lauder. That uh, that's off the quarter, and uh, Jim obviously follows that company closely. You can see it is not reacting well, at least if you own the stock to uh, to earnings. And uh, AMD, who just spoke to uh, Lisa Sue, obviously Starbucks also will get to those earnings. So many earnings to get to this morning, and an opening bell coming up. All right, we'll squeeze in a mad dash, and then we'll get to an opening bell. I mentioned SD Lauder because it's All the right. biggest loser pre-market on the S&P. Looks like China travel, or Asia travel, I should say specifically, 
uh, is a problem for the right. company. Now, we, we told yesterday at our morning meeting, we said, listen, Estee is going to miss the quarter. And they'll miss the quarter because they haven't been able to get the, the big travel out of China yet. And the people will sell it. Obviously, this is a panic sell. This is Fabrizio Fred. He's probably the best consumer packaged goods person in the world. Uh, let the stock come in and then buy it. Now, I say that because cross-border will come back. Uh, this is something where he is exceptional. But people don't understand the way he works. They don't understand that here's a history of coming back. I say let them sell. This is what we said. Let them sell it. They did this when it went from 240 down to 188, and then you buy the stock. Let them sell it. Let them press it. All right, so let them, let them sell and buy it. That way. But not good numbers. Not good. No, but expect it. I don't understand what these analysts were thinking. We knew that China was not coming back yet. He told us China was not coming back yet. Somehow these people actually believed it was going to be a good quarter. He told you it would not be an upside surprise. I have no... Do these people do work with Fabrizio? I do. You buy it after today. What can I tell you? Buy yeah. it below. It happened the last time. All right. You hear the opening bells. So we're taking a look at the NASDAQ there. Of course, CPJ, Press Freedom, um, uh, obviously very important in particular. Think of... Uh, Evan Gershkovic in, uh, in uh, being held prisoner in Russia for absolutely no reason. Uh, that is the Committee to Protect Journalists. Here at the big board, by the way, it was construction engineering company Primora Services celebrating its recent transfer from the NASDAQ. We haven't talked about Lilly yet. All right, let's talk Lilly. Uh, we got to get to earnings from Ford, from Starbucks. But Lilly, phase three, the first time the FDA said, you need more info. Now they're back now at they're it. Back. Now this was they wanted. Now obviously people want to immediately talk about the, the Alzheimer's incidents. drug. We heard from Dave Ricks I think earlier th- on. This uh, works. On, uh, this one works. Now the stock was up 30 at one point, and this is a kind of a sour market, and people are focused on the fact that there were some uh, brain swelling incidents. The fact is, is it is now the superior drug. Uh, it will matter tremendously. The problem is, how long does it really keep you from having Alzheimer's, and how do we decide who gets it? Because when you look at the at the safety profile, which is okay. We would all take it. If we had a relative that has Alzheimer's, we would just demand it. That would, of course, break the bank. There's no way Medicare Yeah, can that do would it. break so, the bank. So that now would, we have to do um, a kind of a triage. Bank's already broken anyway, but that True. would even break but it who, even more. Yeah. The federal, you know. Do you have two parents thing. who have Alzheimer's? Did you have parents who got Alzheimer's early age, early onset? Will you get six months? Will you get a year and a half? Well, but the fact is that this stock's only up 16. It's pathetic because this is the holy grail that we, they, yeah, for, for the ages. holy grail is a 35, you know, a 35 this first, this percent chance of, of, of this, effectiveness. This is the uh, first iteration. Yeah. But, uh, well, if you knew that you had a 35 percent chance to not have early onset Alzheimer's. Or to push it out, at least. What would yeah. you pay for? It? Right. And the answer no, is maybe anything. Anything. Without a doubt. Uh, right. You know, the CEO, Lily Dave Rick's talking about it being a step change. Take a listen to what he told the guys on Squat this morning. It's not a cure. But it is a significant step forward today with Denonumab's um, uh, efficacy results, which, which significantly slows the disease down in our study. Beta amyloid removal is a key to slow down this disease. It's not the only thing to do, but we have a new tool today. And we're going to rush it to the FDA and hopefully get full approval by the end of the year. Uh, and as, as Jim alluded to, I mean, the, the, um, the history of trying to find drugs that really do combat this horrible disease is not a good one. Biogen, of course, comes to mind. The very much questioned uh, decision-making process, the FDA, for that drug, which was not uh, accepted by insurers. 
Right. I think this really is superior. Being, but, yeah, and this is considered to be, as as he said, a step change. Right. Uh, you know, a significant move forward in terms right. of treating but remember, the disease. I mean, these are. We really have to figure how much. Look, the issue is what will the government tolerate? Will the government say, listen, if this is only a year that it that it, it, it that it gives it uh, gives you protection, it, what is that worth? And I think that's going to be this is going to be a very complicated series of back and forth with Louie, uh, and with you know whether there's an is there an imperative for how long you should not have Alzheimer's? Because I don't want it. You don't want it. If you got six months, what, what would you do? I know. No, it's a good point, and it's obviously worthy of, uh, of, of close study. Uh, and hope that, in fact, this is just the first iteration of what will be yeah, continued absolutely. advancement in treating this, well, treating this disease. You know, I, I, I uh, hosted the American Brain Foundation gala last Wednesday yeah. and do a lot with the, with the American Brain Foundation. They're all trying to figure out the same thing which is that if we had a biomarker where we knew that you were going to get it, which is what they're really trying to find, it's a biomarker, then we could target the, pers- the people who really should get it. Right. right now, we're just going to be saying, do your parents have it? it right. And that's not enough. Uh, all right, let's get uh, back to earnings uh, and some names we haven't discussed. Starbucks, it used to be on a day like today, it would always be A&B and Starbucks as our guest, but we do not have uh, their new CEO as our guest, but you've been following the company closely. Right. Well, Loxman, uh, Narasim, who yeah. came... It's kind of like, where is he, so to speak? Luxman, I don't know where he is. Now, Luxman, I'll tell you this. Was there any percentage at all in him raising numbers? Was there any percentage at all in saying that China was going to get much better? Now, China was plus three. I was looking for minus three, same store. The numbers in America were sharply better than expected. But the fact that he did not raise, we're in this moment, David, where some some CEOs, like Bill, like, I've got to tell you, Jim Farley's doing it. Jim Farley, making a choice. We're not going to raise right now. It's just not worth it. We're not going to raise what raise, we're, we're not going to raise our estimates and give our forecast better. Yeah. And that's what is hurting Starbucks is that just we're just we had a really good quarter. We're not raising, which then implies that the second half is not going to be that strong. I think that Starbucks is on a really good path here and that China's going to come roaring back and that you have to buy Starbucks here. Again, we sold some Starbucks for my travel trust saying they're not going to raise. The stock's going to come down. And you gotta buy it. So I'm I'm not deviating. Sticking with my strategy right now. Estee Lauder, sell some, buy it back. Starbucks, sell some, buy it back. AMD, sell some, buy it back. I'm sticking by my game plan 100 percent on this. Right. These are all stocks you own, right? Right. Yeah. Um, well I was saying to sell them, buy them back. Let's uh, Ford the same thing? Or for let's take Ford a look at Ford. Sold some very high. Um, Ford and I buy it back. Good here. First quarter. Um, and the stock is up. Good. I mean, it was very odd that it was down uh, immediately, given the fact that he made his promise that he, this is Farley. He did his EV number. He did better for his internal combustion engine number. His pro number was extraordinary. David, they can't make enough Lightning, and they can't make enough Mustang. The story is complicated by Elon Musk changing the price every day of Tesla. He just well, kind of, Farley did speak about price as well. Wait, in do we have their tape? position in the market? Yeah, let's listen to him. Uh, this is Jim Farley from a Ford's conference call. Take a listen. The message from me as the CEO is that we are not going to price just to gain market share. We will always balance a healthy profit roadmap. In the first generation of products, it's pretty challenging. Because we didn't know what we didn't know four years ago when we designed them. 
Such great audio quality. Thank you for that. Well, he, he's a clear speaker. By the way, I find that he uh, has really laid a, a roadmap down, but he didn't raise. And yeah. Mary Barr raised for GM. Mm-hmm. What was the percentage of raising if Mary Barr raised and the stock didn't go up? Why set yourself up? Why not just say, here's our game plan and not create false expectations? Because Mary Barr's stock should have gone up 34, 35, and then it didn't happen. Right. Uh, I thought it was a good quarter. Yeah. Uh, right now, uh, uh, Ford is up 1.4%. Tesla is also up uh, 1%. Obviously, well, Should've well off its fairly recent highs. It, 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 I, Farley raised the price of the e, the, the, e, the Lightning F-150 yep. pretty dramatically. And there's, no, there's been no balking at all. That's the truck that America wants and people want electric. What's most interesting in the conference call is that if anyone listened closely, these are all new buyers. These are not the traditional F-150 buyers. F-150, the greatest selling pickup of all time. He's bringing in new buyers. And that was the most important part of the conference call. Don't want to leave that out. A couple of things we want to keep an eye on sort of as of yesterday, from yesterday. Certainly the regional banks, which we began the, um, the show discussing. Taking a quick look here, Jim. So far looks okay in terms of the performance of the stock prices. Yeah, uh, I mean... There's a, there's right. a look at the regional bank index, well, um, or the spider, I should say. They really overdid it. I mean, look, a lot of really good banks have very high yields, and that's been a sign, well, wow, that's bad news. Uh, you know, Comerica, eight, Huntington, Key, these are bedrock American banks. If the FDIC says they're not really worth saving, well, I think that's a travesty. And if they decide well, that the only th- bank Let's hope that we don't get to that point to begin with. Well, no, I mean, I just think that these... I, but you can't say they're buys because you don't have the data. You don't know how much has been pulled out because we only get the data once a quarter, which is far school in itself. It may be very difficult to say they're buys for some time until there's really a long period of quiescence so we, because, wait, in wait. fact, they have to live with this idea that in, at any moment something could occur, even something completely... But, but what if... Completely... It, uh, fallacious, a, raw, a lie but what that could the, have people start to withdraw money. I agree, but what about if the, if the FDIC said, listen, we're going to offer temporary protection up to $1 million for U.S. Bank Corp, Truist, Fifth Third, M&T, Comerica, PNC, Zions. Well, you know where those stocks would be? They would be one of the greatest the shorts. they leave out then? Well, what they wouldn't, I am mentioning the ones that are on the board. They'd say for banks that are the size of X, right. where the problem relates to not to credit, Right. But to treasuries. OK, we're going because remember, we're punishing banks for having invested in treasuries. I just don't find that to be an imperative of America. We should not punish banks because they invested conservatively, but a different part of the yield curve that was jacked um, up because of our, our Fed share. Another follow through from yesterday was Chegg, of course. We followed it in part because we know the company and Dan Rosenzweig, a friend of a uh, friend of the network, came on later in the day yesterday, but also because there was it raised this question of what's next in terms of chat GPT disrupting right. a current business. Right. You know, for their part, it was, well, students didn't flock to us quite as much as we thought in terms of us helping them with studying and right. learning, uh, which is Chegg's business, because they went to chat GPT, at least some portion of them did, and did not become subscribers. And so you have you know, any number of investors, Jim, looking for other opportunities, so to speak, on the short side. Uh, to see what ChatGPT might disrupt. Right. Maybe Did, companies that rely on teaching people languages. How far away is ChatGPT from being able to do that with you? Right, and there are, there are schools already which are coming up with anti-ChatGPT. Uh, you know that I was, when I was at Harvard, I got paid to see if there was any plagiarism. I was a plagiarism officer. 
Yeah. We'll find out. Well, I've got to tell you, I think the safety is going to happen. But, David, I don't know if you saw Lena Khan's editorial. I did. I I actually, she talked about collusion uh, among the big companies. She talked about the idea that we are in a moment where the bad guys could take control of this. What has been interesting and perhaps distinctive about this period is how many of the leaders in AI have said, we need guardrails. Please help us help save ourselves. Uh, and yet it's very much unclear exactly what we're going to get from the government or whether it is going to be in any way advanced enough in terms of doing the right and wrong, or doing the right things to sort of direct this technology so that it doesn't present dangers, dangers in terms of, you know, simple fakes that people can do and obviously larger dangers as but how about to the, the species. But she talks, take Okay. I still got to go there, Jim. At some point, well, we may get there, and they look, don't know. They don't know what hey, they've Hey, listen, got. I've been reading about various people AI, who were in the media know. and things that they said. And yes, I'm worried about existential. But I would say that, David, there is a concentration of people who have this information, and that's where Lita comes, right? Just a couple of very big. There are. But yeah. in order to be big in this, you need the computing power. And the computing power that's is from, expensive. That's from NVIDIA. It's it costs ex- $40,000 $40, per card if you want to go on eBay yeah, with me and, and set this up. that's running these things. That's just buying it. Well, David, we have to go to KFC. Enough already. Okay, Enough with your crisis. Here. Let's talk Pizza Hut. Jeez. I mean, oh, David, you've Sorry. got me all down. And I'm, I'm trying to get a little. I didn't eat I'm breakfast. trying to get some Taco Bell. I'm hungry. And I think they got a breakfast off. Have you ever had one out late Davidson the time talking about it. Well, here we go, because yeah. the stock's down. That's kind of foolish. Why don't we bring in uh, David Gibbs, who is the CEO of uh, Yum. David, I can recall that any given time we always had of Pizza Hut, of KFC, of Taco Bell, one of them was always awful. I'm trying to find out. I don't see any of them awful. They all seem to have gotten it good. How is that possible? You are spot on, Jim, and it's great to be on with you and David. Uh, this was a strong quarter across the board. We're very proud of the results our franchise partners put up. You saw double-digit overall system sales growth for Yum coming for the quarter. That's our third consecutive quarter of double-digit growth. And that really is the theme for the quarter, double-digit growth. Each of our brands had double-digit system sales growth, so it was widespread. We had double-digit growth in our core operating profit. And then a metric that I'm really tracking closely that our investors follow is our digital sales. Our digital sales went from $6 billion last year to $7 billion this year in the first quarter. Double-digit growth. 45% of our transactions now are digital. If this keeps up, we're getting, we'll be up to $30 billion for the year compared to just $12 billion in digital sales in 2019. Massive oh. shift in our business. Okay, well, let, let's talk about the things that are supposed to be so worrisome. Uh, labor, uh, food costs. And I know you've got a franchise model, so it doesn't necessarily reflect on you, but there, there are definite implications. They didn't seem to come into play. Uh, is something getting easier in the system? Are we, for the Fed chief, and we look at a company as big as yours, can we say, wait a second, maybe we're beginning to have an impact. It seems to be easier labor, maybe easier supply chain. What do you say? Absolutely. It's definitely become a better operating environment for us, and we did well in the, in the operating environment uh, in the, over the last few years. But we are seeing inflation in our input costs come down. We expect it to be low single digits this year in the United States. It was high double, you know, well over double digits uh, last year. Uh, even with double digit growth uh, inflation last year, we were able to put up you know, record margins in our Taco Bell business. So we can win in any environment. 
But as you say, the inflation is coming down. Our ability to attract uh, and retain team members has improved. Our stores are back to normal operating hours. Our applications for positions are up and turnover is down. So everything I look at says the operating environment for us is really quite favorable. All right. And we often talk about Chipotle and maybe they'll have a certain dish that everyone's excited about. I, I look at Taco Bell and when I was at Taco Bell recently and the menu is very different from what we would expect. You've got specials that are really driving a lot of traffic, don't you? Absolutely. And the great thing about Taco Bell is how they play the high end consumer and the low end consumer. You know, we've got at the high end, the grilled cheese burrito helped drive uh, our sales in Q1. But at the same time, they've got a $2 cravings value menu um, with burrito offerings that are filling and a great uh, value for consumers and taste delicious. So we have everything, something for everybody in the Taco Bell menu. That's the beauty of that model. You can take all those different ingredients that they have in the restaurant and put them together in some amazing combinations. Now, Pizza Hut was uh, exceptional because it was transaction growth, not price. Pizza Hut was a problem for a long time, David. And we, we actually started... Uh, hating to talk about Pizza Hut because it was such a, a poor third in the business. What did you do to make it so that uh, that if I were Domino's or if I were pa- Papa John's, I would be concerned about you? Yeah, you know, you can't point to one specific thing because it's a holistic approach to improving the business. Um, we have improved our franchise base. We've got great franchise partners at Pizza Hut right now that are really driving operational improvements. The leadership of Pizza Hut is doing a better job with connecting to consumers through the product offerings. You know, we, we in the first quarter, our Melts product, uh, which at a $6.99 price point, it's a screaming value, but it's an innovative product that uh, has really resonated with consumers, brought in younger consumers, brought in more incremental transactions. That's working well. Uh, I've talked in the past about the fact that we've embraced the aggregator model to be incremental to Pizza Hut, also to bring in new consumers. At the end of last year, we were doing 50 aggregator transactions per Pizza Hut. Now we're up to 60 aggregator transactions per week per Pizza Hut. So that part of the business continues to grow. I think the team is just firing on all cylinders. When you get the right people and the right franchisees together with a great brand like Pizza Hut, you know, the outcome is going to be fantastic. Uh, David, on AI, I'm just curious. We always talk about this future coming where everything's going to be automated. Uh, you know, what do you think of uh, and how are you thinking about using sort of the advances that are being made right now? Well, we've obviously embraced uh, technology as a big differentiator for us. As a scale player in the restaurant industry, we should be the leader, and I do believe we are the leader, 45% digital mix. Um, but it's a holistic approach that we're using. It's really end-to-end in terms of the customer experience and the team member experience, and then how we're gleaning insights from the data. I'll give you one quick example. We bought a company called Dragontail, which helps us sequence orders in the restaurants so they come out at exactly the right time to be delivered to consumers. Uh, something that previously a restaurant manager would have to sort of sort out, looking at all the tickets, which one should I make first, and which driver should I give it to in a Pizza Hut. I was in a UK restaurant and I saw real, uh, firsthand just a few weeks ago a pizza come out of the oven, get cut in the box, and seconds later the driver that was intended to take that pizza to the customer show up in the store, grab it and run off. No wasted time, much more efficient operation, drivers on the road being more efficient with their time, and the customer getting a hotter product. That's one of just many examples we have where the technology investments we're making are really driving improvements for our franchise partners and our customers and our team members. All right. Thank you so much to to David Gibbs. Remember, the stock ran a great deal. So this is the CEO of Yum telling a pretty good story. David, it's good to see you. Thank you, guys. 
Cheese and AI. I'll go for cheese. So they still have to improve on box technology for the pizzas. Boxes. Cardboard boxes still kind of screws up the pizza. All right, services PMIs out just moments ago. The final reading for April coming in at 53.6. That was uh, about in line with forecasts. It was up from 52.6 in the previous month. Let's take a look at yields and see where we stand on that two-year and 10-year. Of course, got the Fed meeting a little later today. ISM non-manufacturing data also due out at the top of this hour. We'll be right back. On Saturday, Warren Buffett will hold court at Berkshire Hathaway's annual shareholder meeting. CNBC and CNBC.com are the only places where you will be able to watch live coverage of that all-day event known as Woodstock for Capitalists. Becky Quick and Mike Santoli both will be live from Omaha. That will start at 10 a.m. Eastern. A lot of people don't want to miss that. We're back in a minute. All right. That's an hour somehow. Emerson, what do you got on Matt tonight? Emerson with a clean beat and raise. Congratulations, Lyle Carson. By well, I've got another restaurant and then still one more. I've got Wingstop. I've got Brinker. Uh, E-A-T, one of my favorite symbols. And then look at this. Brent Saunders for Bausch, for Bausch Plus. That's right. Bausch and Loam, B-L-C-O. Brent was a magician. Is he going to work some magic with B-L-C-O? We'll find out tonight. Great forward to yeah. seeing all of that Thank you have a much. real sense for the fast food industry after this day is well i think that it's important to talk about existential crisis at banks about whether skynet's going to take us over and wings <laughs> maybe the machines just feed us wings keep us happy all right coming up former philadelphia fed president charles plosser on the fed decision that's of course and the sixers because it's a big game tonight. and the sixers few hours from now, we'll hear from the Fed. See, we got that countdown clock. Four hours, three minutes, 12 seconds. What should policymakers do when it comes to interest rates? We'll ask that question. Keep it here. You've been listening to the opening hour of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. All opinions expressed by the Squawk on the Street participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information Squawk on the Street participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Squawk on the Street disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Squawk on the Street disclaimer. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.